Welcome home. Welcome home. You're, you're at Bethany. My name's Tom. It's just such a joy. Um, you know, uh, we, are, we are preaching and praising tired because we had an awesome day yesterday. Um, if you're looking for a seat, uh, the kids are leaving for Children's Church. Ought to free up some. Um, uh, if you're between the ages of three or fifth and fifth grade, go on up. We've got great plans for you. Um, Levi Gill, you're back, man. God bless you. Oh, it's good to see so many. You know, being in the presence of God with people that you love and people that you don't know yet, but you're going to love, um, it, it, you know, it's just incredible. And we're so glad you're here. Uh, wonderful stuff. Um, I want to just take a minute. You guys uh, coming from Missouri uh, to bless us. I want to just thank God for you. Thank, thank you. Had a chance to meet these guys, and uh, they love the Lord, and they love Ryan. Okay, you know, so, and, and they are great to come and share their gifts, and it's been wonderful. Please excuse the, the, the fence and the, and the posts. We had this place set up as an octagon, and uh, um, thank you. Thank you for so many of the guys coming out. We had about 90 guys come out for the conference, and then more than 100 for, uh, for the fights. And, and we had guests uh, from UFC and mixed martial arts coming in and talking about how we as men contend and fight for the faith uh, in our families and our friendships and uh, our marriages and, uh, it, and, and our communities and the kingdom of God. Uh, and it was wonderful. I learned a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll do other things like this, but I just want to uh, thank God for that. And everybody came out. A uh, couple of announcements. Uh, we did the Act Like Men. It's good. Uh, if you missed it, if you missed it, we have, we're going to be posting the audio. It was also part of a video series that these guys are putting together uh, from different churches around the country of, of a, a series of, of messages for men. Uh, on biblical manhood. So we'll get you those videos. Watch the website. Uh, we'll get those up for you uh, and the audio as well. Uh, after this service, the social committee is decorating the church for Christmas. Uh, if you want to stay and help, they have like a separate lunch in Alita's office. I don't know what that's about. Frankly, I'm going to taste. Now, Brian Fulgram, where are you, man? He was just standing right back there. Um, he made like chicken gumbo. He's just like, just not a college student. He just graduated. And it's, I've been smelling this stuff for two days. And, and it's going to be awesome. So stay. That's today. Uh, but we need help decorating. So if you want to do that, you can hit a little bit of the gumbo. And then just, you know, see what they got in the leader's office. Because more food. That's what I say. Uh, help us do that. Hang the greens, if you will. Uh, Thanksgiving is next week. Uh, there's not going to be a traditional college lunch, but if you're not going home, I invite you to stay. We're doing like a breakfast cereal uh, celebration after church, lots of things, lots of kinds of milk. If you have a favorite bowl, favorite spoon, it's going to be a great time. So uh, be here for that. If you're going home, travel safe. We love you. Um, December 6th, two weeks from today, we have another baptism service. We got uh, four or five people lined up, but there are many of you who um, God has been laying on your heart, this next step of obedience. Maybe you've come to Christ in the last few weeks. I know there are many of you who are in that situation. Uh, talk to me. Talk to Matt. We want to get you involved. We want to talk to you about what that's about. We want you to be blessed in this way. Um, 
Okay, what else? Uh, Ryan Diane Schnuckles are coming in. Uh, you, you can read about that. Ladies, Christmas tea is coming up on December 5th. We got a Christmas party that uh, December 13th. No middle school. Um, one other thing. Uh, last week we talked about your calling, uh, the design for forms. If you weren't here or you were and you just didn't get a chance to fill these out, uh, I ask you to raise your hand if you want one. Roy uh, has got them. So if you would... Uh, if you want one of these, uh, he'll get you one. Um, if, uh, if you don't know that you want one or, you know, you're embarrassed to raise your hand to church, um, he'll put them on the coffee table, that entrance table, pick one up, fill it out both sides. Uh, we'll get you plugged in. That's what it's all about. Uh, if you want discipleship or you want to disciple somebody who's younger in the faith, please indicate that on this because we got a lot of that happening and we want to match you up as best we can. Okay, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, that's where we are. We're just flying through this book, flying through this book. This is the 24th installment of Acts to be continued. Acts chapter 8, let's pray and we'll get right to work. Uh, Lord, uh, I come before you. We are so grateful for your word, for your spirit, for your presence in this place. Lord, uh, we have a special, some special request. We lift up Cindy Wick, who had an emergency surgery uh, for uh, kidney stones. We ask that you, you bless her. She's doing well, Lord, and, and just put your arms around her. A friend of uh, A.J. Cattle's is ministering to a young man who's got cancer, uh, and he needs strength, and, and we ask you to, to be with him and show up mightily there. Uh, our, our friend and brother, Bryce Johnston, has, has surgery tomorrow. We ask that you uh, cover that and work in that and that you be very present in that situation. Lord, we, as we go forth uh, into your word, we want to be changed. We want uh, our eyes to be open, our ears to be open, our hearts to be open, our prejudices to to crumble before you so that we might see you, so that we might see your plan and we might engage with you in the advancement of your gospel and your kingdom. Uh, Lord, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Um, I thank you uh, for forgiving my sins and I wish they were not so many. And Lord, during this time that you would rule and reign and we would see Jesus and him only. Uh, you would do a great, mighty work for your glory. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 8 is where we are. Um, when we come together, when we come together in this place, we bring um, a lot of stuff. We bring a lot of stuff. Um, all the things that have happened to us this past week, all the things that we're carrying with us, that we're dealing with from our past, we're trying to make sense of it, all the things that we're looking forward to and anticipating, either in fear or in hope, uh, we want to put those into some kind of context. Excuse me. We want to put those into some kind of context, and we're going to be able to do that this morning as we take a look at a clash of kingdoms. Now, whether we realize it or not, the Bible is very clear that we're living in the midst of a battle in a clash of kingdoms, okay? Because God created the world to be perfect and good and people to be blessed and for him to get glory and for them to get great joy, great joy. And for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of the blessings that he unpacked for his creation, 
to line up with his will, which is good and holy and pure and lovely. But sin entered the world through our first parents. And there is an enemy. There is an enemy here. It's Satan. And he is usurping God's kingdom. It happened in Genesis and is continuing to this day. He has set himself up as king. He is not a great and glorious king, but the people under his control, he steals from, he kills, and he destroys everything that God has done. And the good news, the good news is that Jesus has come back as the king, as one of us, as God-man, and is now saying, I am going to reestablish, I am going to recreate, I am going to redeem my kingdom. And I'm calling a new humanity, I'm calling all people to come, to come home. The king has come to say, you can come home. Now, each one of us, to one degree or another, has been in the other kingdom, okay? So we've committed grand treason against the high and mighty king, God, the triune God who created all things for his glory and for our joy, okay? So the penalty for that treason is death because it's that serious, because you can't be at peace with a holy God and commit treason. So Jesus, the good news is he says, all my subject, all my people, whoever will come, I will pay the penalty of your treason so that you can come home forgiven and free. I'm bearing that on the cross in your place for your sins. So come home. Come home into the kingdom that I'm establishing in you right here, right now, that operates under the kingdom principles of following me so that you can once again line up with my perfect will to be the men, the women in the creation that I created you to be. That's the good news. That's what we celebrate. And we live in that clash of kingdoms. And that's what we're going to see in the scriptures. That's what I want us to see in our lives. And he's saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So if I've called you, if I've called you and you said yes, and you've come into the kingdom and you've worshiped me as king, then our job is to go out. He goes before us. He goes within us. And we go out and we invite others to experience, uh, if you will, a preview of what he's doing uh, to live in the kingdom, to live in him. And, and, and he's working, and he's unstoppable in that quest. And so that's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to see. Now, as we go into 8.1, um, the church is about to have its 9-11, if you will, the early church, uh, being very persecuted. So what we see, the, 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 the lead up to this is that the apostles have, have gotten the call from Jesus, the one I just shared with you, to receive him in great power and to go out and, and invite others into the kingdom. And it's working. It's working so well, in fact, under his power, under his Holy Spirit, that they're being threatened by the other kingdom, right? And the other kingdom is... Uh, is embodied in this way by the religious leaders, right? Those whose, whose kingdom, their kingdom is being threatened. They've got everybody under their thumb in some kind of legalistic, you do this, do this, do this, stay under on control, and God will be happy with you. Jesus' message is, I've accepted you. So if you're trying to earn my approval, the good news is you can quit. Now, something to remember. When we talk about the other kingdom, the people who serve in it are not the enemy. The chief priests and the elders of the church are not the enemy. 
in the early church. They're the captives, and they just can't see it. The enemy is Satan, and only Satan. And, and, and we as a church can't make that same mistake to say that the people who are in captivity and blinded and, and serving in the kingdom of darkness, unbeknownst to them many, many times, they're not the enemy. The people who live lives that contradict the gospel are the captives. And our goal is to tell them that the king has come and he's declared amnesty for all of us and he's invited us home. Okay, so that's it. Uh, And they started the persecution with just Peter and John and they locked them up. And then all the apostles, they had them arrested and whipped. And now it gets worse because Stephen, if you remember, uh, is a deacon, and he unpacked an incredible sermon that talked about God uh, coming back and, and all of this hope in Jesus Christ, and they killed him. They killed him. They stoned him. Um, so it's escalating, both in severity and its scope, and, and now we're going to see what happens. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. But we're going to see that Jesus and his plan is unstoppable, is unstoppable. The kingdom is unstoppable. And in it, Jesus turns tragedy into triumph. Tragedy into triumph. And what does that mean for us? Well, we're all bringing a lot of stuff from the past and fears of the future and circumstances and in his kingdom and for his glory and for his people. He will turn tragedy into triumph. And we're going to see that throughout this scripture. Okay. That's the setup. Let's go. 8-1. We'll just unpack it as we go through. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Who are we talking about here? Stephen, right. Saul is uh, a servant. He is a a leader. Uh, He's part of that religious establishment that is coming down on the church. He will become Paul, okay? Now, when he makes... uh, his entrance, it's like a movie. Do you remember? We got any like old nerdy Star Wars fans? You got any? Any of you guys still wear those, still have those Star Wars sheets? Do you? But you remember, if you remember when Darth Vader first came on the scene, the music changed, you know, it was all happy. Then And then you see the black cape, right? You're there with me? That's Saul. That's Saul. Very bad. The epitome of those who are against everything that Jesus is about. Now, what is going to happen to him is that Jesus is going to confront him, and he's going to to be changed, and he becomes Paul. So, uh, as you hear Saul and Paul, realize they're the same person, and he's known as Saul before he meets Jesus and, and, and Paul, uh, after it, he's wearing the black hat and he approves of Stephen's execution. Going on, verse one. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the killing of Stephen just throws throws fuel on the fire of the opposition. And these people are bloodthirsty. And they say, yes, the best way to to 
clamp down on this Jesus is to take his people and kill them and imprison them, and it's gaining momentum, and it's gaining momentum. But what happens? They're scattered. The church is scattered from the place of its origin in Jerusalem, and they're scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles, verse 1 says. Now, very cool thing. This is Acts 8, 1. Now, if we, we see what happens here, Jesus predicted, prophesied all of this, and you're in it. And you're in it. I want, to see, I want you to see how this happened. So here we are. Uh, there arose great persecution against them in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's Acts 8.1. Now go back to Acts 1.8. In the beginning, when the early church started, Jesus said this after his resurrection, before his ascension into heaven, he goes to the apostles. Here's how he talks about how this is going to unfold. Here's how it's going to be built out. In my sovereignty, in my power, you will receive power. There's an R there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. First thing, there are four parts to this. First thing is that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they did at Pentecost, if you remember. And we receive power when we live and, and we accept Jesus Christ. And he moves in. He becomes uh, the resident of our life and our hearts. We receive power. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. So that's part two. They were his witnesses in Jerusalem. And, and then what happens? In, in Acts 5.28, we see, they said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Now, if we could go back to Acts 1.8, we'll see, we'll see the other parts. So they filled Jerusalem with their teaching, they're turning the city upside down. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who've been set free, brought into God's kingdom, been forgiven, and, and get new life. Thousands of them. And it happened in Jerusalem. And he said it would go, the third thing he said, you'll be filled with power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And the third thing, and in Judea and Samaria. And what just happened? The church got persecuted in Jerusalem and they scattered where? To Judea and Samaria. Okay, that's three. He said, it's gonna happen this way. And the fourth thing he said, and to the end of the earth. It's not just staying here in the Middle East. It's not just staying in the places you've been, in the places you're going to, but here's how it's gonna unpack. My kingdom is gonna advance to the ends of the earth. And some of you moved to Gunnison and said, I moved to the end of the earth. <laughs> you know, you want directions? Go to the end of the earth, take a right, you're there. That includes the Gunnison Valley. That includes Crested Butte. It includes Alma. It includes the United States of America. It, it includes the whole world. That's Jesus' passion. The king has come back and has invited everyone into his kingdom. He has declared amnesty because he has paid the price. And he says, I want to set you free from this kingdom of darkness where the king of darkness rules and his desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you've ever left your house uh, or known a person or 
gone through life, you know. Um, and you can see the, the symptoms of that. And I want to fill you with my spirit. I not only want you to work with me to create this kingdom, I want you to go to the ends of the earth, wherever you are, and invite others in. And it's unstoppable. And so he's turning the tragedy of the persecution of the church into triumph because Jesus is unstoppable. He's unstoppable. He is never surprised. He is never frustrated. He is never overpowered. He is never anything but triumphant, victorious, glorious, mighty, ruling, reigning, and overcoming. And he invites you to join him. Life in him is advancing his kingdom and living in his rule, reign, glory, blessing. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made lamentation over him. How does he turn this tragedy into a triumph? Stephen is dead, violently. They went to the tomb, some of his friends, they wrapped him up, they put spices in there, don't ask me why. That's how they did it, okay? They put him in a tomb, they said some prayers, they cried, then they went back to his house and they ate mac and cheese. It's comfort food, it's what you do. Okay, that's not in the scripture, but um, the mac and cheese part, but th- that's, what, that's what you do. But do you remember how he died? He was praying. Stephen was praying. As he's getting hit with rocks, he's praying. And he's looking into the face of Jesus, and he has incredible peace, right? He dies looking into the face of Jesus. So there is mourning because a good man has been killed in a violent way because he's dead. But in reality, he is more alive than he has ever been because he went from looking into the face of Jesus to being in the arms of Jesus and hearing the words that we long for every follower of Jesus Christ to hear. Whether you're a Christian now or you become one this morning, the words that everyone wants to hear, that everyone longs to hear, is well done, my good and faithful servant. Inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he is now overwhelmed with ever-increasing joy as he goes from looking into the face of Jesus and suffering to being in the arms of Jesus in healing. He has turned Stephen's tragedy into triumph. And on that day when when Stephen died, he lived his life by the scripture that says to live is Christ and to die is gain. On the day that they meant the greatest harm for Stephen, Jesus turned the tragedy into a triumph. He turned the tragedy into a triumph. And on that day, Stephen hit the jackpot. He won the Powerball. He won the publisher's clearinghouse times infinity. Not financially, but in every way that matters. Spiritually, holistically, cosmically, he's with the king. He's with the king in the kingdom, and he's overwhelmed with joy. He's in the place where there is no more pain, no more cancer, no more death, no more poverty, no more bankruptcy, no more wars, no more hate, no more injustice, no more murder, no more mourning, no more divorce, no more depression, no more despair, no more struggle, no more addiction, no more abuse, no more heartbreak, no more shame, no more guilt, no more 
insecurity, no more loneliness, no more prejudice, no more hopelessness, no more emptiness, no more darkness, no more fear, and no more pain. That's God's kingdom. That's what awaits you. That is the glorious hope. Not for those things, but in Jesus, all those things are true. And we get a taste of it in his kingdom, with his people, in his presence. And he asks us to call everyone, everyone into that, into that. Now, as long as we're here and there is this clash of kingdoms, we will wrestle and fight against the enemy who looks to bring all of that into our lives. And he's longing to set us free. He turns Stephen's tragedy into triumph. Thy kingdom come. If we've ever prayed that, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Verse 3. But Saul, here we see him again. Oh, like you've never heard it. Come on. Some of you sing that when your wives walk in the room. Sorry. Oh, come on. I'm still with this act like men thing. And you men need to repent of that. That's what I meant to say. Stick with me. I love you women. Look, we talked all about how you guys are the spiritual leaders and men are called to be that. So, you know, I'm talking trash. It's true. We need to rise up and, and serve you better and lead. Um, so Saul is ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. What's he doing? He's going to their small groups. Yeah. He's going to their houses. And when they won't deny Jesus, he's, he's taking whole families, men, women in Jerusalem and beyond. And we see this in Acts 26, verse 10 and 11. He confesses it when he becomes Paul. Um, by the way, he, uh, he tells us this, uh, 26, 10, and 11. This is Paul speaking. And I did this in Jerusalem. I, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. Deny Jesus, and they wouldn't. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is what he did. This is what he did. And, and Jesus turned Saul's trial, uh, tragedy, into triumph. Because his tragedy was far worse than Stephen's, who he just had killed. Um, because Stephen was being hit with rocks, and, and his physical body was was dying, but his soul, his spirit was more alive than it had ever been. And, and Saul's tragedy is this. His heart was as hard as a stone, as a rock. And he was so blinded by the enemy that he persecuted and killed and imprisoned those who would not deny Jesus. And uh, what we're going to see is this awesome transformation of Saul into Paul as he takes his tragedy and turns it into triumph. And this, this mighty opposition, he said he had a raging, fiery fury against Jesus Christ and his people. He becomes the most passionate saint, if you will, and writes half the New Testament. 
can turn the tragedy into triumph. Who is the person that is least likely to see Jesus and the truth of Christ and come and be reborn? Jesus specializes in that. If he can turn around Saul's life, he can turn around that person. And that person might be you. It might be you, but there's great hope because he loves you. Just as he loved Saul, even as he was opposing him and killing his people. We're not going to get into Saul's transformation and salvation. That comes in chapter 9. We're in chapter 8. We're not going to get to chapter 9 until 2010. No, that's true. (laughs) But there's so much good stuff between now and then. Stick with us. You camped out to watch the next episode of Star Wars, didn't you? Twilight, New Moon, whatever you got. It's far more worth it. Okay, verse 4. And they were scattered. The church was scattered, and they went about preaching the word. Do you see this? The church didn't say, oh, the stakes are getting real high. Let's hide and shut up. No. They scattered and went preaching the word. Here's what happens. Here's what Satan means to do. It's like the church is this ripe tomato, and the opposition is this big wooden mallet, and they try to smash it. But what does it do? It splatters all over mom's kitchen. Don't ask how I know this. And everywhere the seeds go, new tomatoes start to sprout. And it's spreading. And it's unstoppable. And it's unstoppable. So they go, and they are, they are proclaiming Christ in verse 5. Philip, Philip, now we saw him last week. He was made a deacon, right? He's on the JV team, if you will. And now... And now he's going out into Judea and Samaria. He's going to Samaria to preach the gospel. So he just got a promotion, you know? This week he's mopping floors. Next week it's the fries. You following with me? Oh, come on. I'm trying to be culturally relevant here. Unpack a little Kanye for you, and that's what I get. That's what I get. Now... Look at Philip's, no, that's, that's pity laughter. I, I don't need that. <laughs> Philip, navigation system, he's going to Samaria and proclaiming to them Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the King has come and has set you free. Now, what is so shocking about the fact that Philip, a Jew, is going to Samaria? It's awful. I mean, it just offends all of the sensibilities of the Jews. It's shocking. It's actually wonderful. It's not awful, but, but people see it that way. Samaria is where Samaritans live, hence the name. Um, and anytime that Jesus is telling a story, and he's telling a parable, and he needs to use an example of people that the Jews looked down upon, felt morally superior to, thought that God also hated, and, and did all the things and lived all the ways that God would have to be displeased with. And we're going to reject them too. We want nothing to do with them. Anytime he needed that kind of example, he chose a Samaritan. 
That's why the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan is so shocking because the Jews that he was talking to wouldn't have ever expected a Samaritan to be a hero of Jesus' story. They don't even think the word good and Samaritan should be in the same sentence. They hated the Samaritans. And yet this is where Philip is going to preach Christ, to preach that Jesus loves them, that his heart is toward them, that he wants to make them his children in the same way that the Jews are. Can you see how shocking that would be? Think of the stuffiest, stuffiest, fundamentalist, God bless them, person that you can think of or caricature and picture them saying, I know, I feel called to go to people unlike myself and tell them that the king has come, that the king has paid the ransom, he's declared amnesty, and he wants people to come home to him to be forgiven and free because of his love for them and his forgiveness for them as a free gift. I feel called to tell this, and I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'm gonna go to a village filled with homosexual, immigrant, Taliban doctors who hand out condoms to middle schoolers and elementary school students and pierce themselves in places other than their earlobes and grow their hair long and listen to rock music as they smoke doobies. (laughs) It would be shocking! Why? Because some people think it's our job to feel morally superior and reject people. Jesus sends Philip to the Samaritans to tell them of his love. It's shocking. And Philip's and the Jews' prejudice against those people crumbles in the light of Christ's love for him in his desire to call everyone, everyone, everyone into new life in his kingdom. The prejudice turns to dust. Who is it that you won't go to, that you can't find yourself loving because their sin is too great? Man, if you knew my life and my heart, you wouldn't really want me talking to you. But if I knew yours, I probably wouldn't. (laughs) But we have Jesus. And in him, broken people, people who still are enticed by sin, yeah, can find forgiveness and freedom in him and as such that we all suffer from different symptoms of the same disease the point is to point to the healer to point to the king and say come on let's walk to the cross together he can set you free just like he's setting me free that's what philip's doing and his prejudice cannot live in the light of Christ's love for people very different than him, who his people have historically hated. If you're shocked by what I said, um, it's because this passage is shocking, and it's meant to shock us into 
figuring out who we've said the kingdom is not for. There's nobody. There's nobody it's not for. If you could save Saul and love Saul, he can love that person that for whatever reason we have kind of drawn the circle of the kingdom and they are on the outside. Maybe you feel like people have put you on the outside. Maybe they're church people. Jesus is the boss. He says, there's room in my kingdom for you. If you just come to me, I'll clean you up and you'll be home. I'll build you up. I'll give you a new life. And I'm going to give you a job. Is to go out and say, I don't deserve this, but I know the king and he loves me and he loves you. And there's room. There's room. Okay, tragedy into triumph, it happens. And the crowds, verse 6, with one accord paid attention. They heard the message of hope because they desperately needed hope. We're going to end. What was being said by Philip, and when they heard him and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many. They're set free from the kingdom of darkness, don't you see? Spiritually, physically. Many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. There was much joy. That's what we longed for, for Gunnison, Almont, CB South, Crested Butte. Joy, great joy in the city. Because when the kingdom comes over a city, comes over a college, there is great joy. For in God's presence, there is great joy. He makes all things work together for my good. We sang it about 100 times, right? And it's a beautiful truth. It comes from Romans 8, 28. That when we are called to his kingdom, he's unstoppable. And he turns our tragedy into triumph. Sometimes it looks like death. Sometimes it looks like persecution. Sometimes it looks like prejudice. And sometimes it looks hopeless. But in God's kingdom, he makes all things work together for my good. And our good is that we might know the king deeply. Have the king live in us and be sent to tell the other captives, come home. He's declared amnesty. There's room for you. Let's pray.